Welcome to Zion Fellowship's Bible Wire. In these podcasts, we discuss what the Bible says, line upon line and precept upon precept. Today, Tom Brennan will be continuing our study on the book of Acts. Settle in for the next few minutes and learn more about who God is and how he loves. Welcome to Bible Wire. We are presently going through the book of Acts, and we are looking right now at uh, Acts chapter 23, and we're looking at Paul as he appears before the um, the Roman governor Felix. So we see this right now. Uh, Felix means cat, by the way. Interesting, like feline. That's what it means. So uh, we'll see what this... Um, what this interaction is like. We have uh, we have Paul and we have Felix. So let's see what goes on here. So we're starting in Acts chapter 23. And we're going to start at verse 34. So let's uh, jump in and see what's going on here. But to, just to backtrack a little bit, we see that Paul had actually, uh, he'd been arrested and Claudius Lysias had rescued him, who was the Roman commander. And then after that, uh, he actually winds up um, being um, threatened by 40 uh, Jews who had actually made a covenant, a pact that they were going to kill Paul and they would die They would die of starvation. They wouldn't eat or drink until they've killed him. And uh, then we move along. So he's protected and sent to Caesarea. So he's in Caesarea right now. So we pick it up right now in verse 34. And when the governor had read it, this is a letter from Claudius Lysias. He asked what province he was from. And when he understood that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear you when your accusers also have come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's Praetorium. So Paul's now in Caesarea. He was there from about 58 to 60 AD. Perhaps Felix hoped that Paul came from some place that required someone else to hear his case. You know, a lot of times you see like with Pontius Pilate, they just kind of want to get off the hot seat. But um, this is where Felix is right now. So apparently learning that he was from Cilicia meant that Felix would indeed be responsible to hear and rule on his case, which he didn't want to do. So he kind of... um, delays and and ducks and so forth but we'll see this so i'll hear um so he says i will hear you when your accusers also have come this would be paul's first opportunity to speak to someone at this level of authority which is the governor so this is paul's first chance to actually talk to someone in roman authority and this is the beginning of the fulfillment of the promise made to paul some 20 years earlier that he would bear the name of jesus to kings and that's at acts 9 he would bear the name of jesus before kings So we move on here. Uh, Also continuing on to verse 35, and he commanded him to be kept in Herod's Praetorium. This began a two-year period of confinement for Paul in Caesarea. Caesarea. After that, he spent at least two years in Rome. Taken together with travel time, the next five years of Paul's life were lived in Roman custody. This was a striking contrast to his previous years of wide and spontaneous travel. Paul lived many years with great freedom and had to trust the promises of God through those years. Yet he also had to trust the promises of Jesus in his years of little freedom and to know that God could work just as powerfully through those more difficult circumstances. Paul needed to receive the promise of Jesus, both promises from 20 years before and promises recently made, to receive them with confident faith, allowing those promises to make a difference in how he thought and even felt. Every believer must do the same. So, He's, in, he's again, he's going to be in custody of Rome for 
for a long time here. And that being the case, we see that Paul was not idle, nor was he unfruitful. Um, it was, uh, it's, it's held by some scholars that Paul wrote some of the prison epistles from Caesarea. Others say, no, they were all written for Rome. And, you know, I, it seems that the weight of evidence is that they were written from Rome. So I was going to say right here that, and Paul used uh, this time to write uh, letters from Caesarea, but it does look like he did. But in any case, um, he definitely grew and he used the time. Okay, now moving on. Uh, now, after five days, Ananias, the high priest, came down with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullus. It also in some places says a certain lawyer named Tertullus. And these gave evidence to the governor against Paul. The Jewish leadership, which was Ananias, the high priest, and the elders, brought a man named Tertullus, who was a skilled lawyer, to present their case. These gave evidence to the governor against Paul, the presence of all three, Ananias, the elders, and a skilled lawyer. At the court of Felix reminds us of how serious the Jewish leadership was about obtaining a conviction against Paul. So since they couldn't kill him, they're looking to get him convicted by Rome. Uh, Verse 2. Uh, Now we're in chapter 34, by the way. Um, And now we're in verse 2. And when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusation, saying, Seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by our foresight, we accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. So Antonius Felix began his life as a slave. His brother Pallas was a friend of the emperor Claudius. Through such influence... Felix rose in status, first as a child gaining freedom, and then through intrigue, he became the first former slave to become a governor of a Roman province. So here we have Felix. He's no, he's no lightweight. He's no shrinking violet. Uh, he was a slave. He knew he was street smart. He knew how to get things done. He knew how to use the system and to game the system and, you know, how to basically you know, he had a lot of political while, wiles. And uh, so that's what he did right there. So he became the first former slave to become a governor of a Roman province. Uh, Richard Longenecker writes, but his slave mentality stayed with him. Tacitus, the Roman historian, described Felix as a master of cruelty and lust who exercised the powers of a king with the spirit of a slave. It's a very uh, cutting uh, description by Tacitus there. Uh, David Williams writes, the picture drawn by Tacitus of Felix's public and private life is not a pretty one. Trading on the influence of his famous brother, who was Pallas, who was a favor of the emperor Claudius, he indulged in every license and excess, thinking that he could do any evil act with impunity. These were lies that Tertullus is basically engaging in here. He's just lying to to flatter him. That's what's going on right now. So Felix did not bring peace or prosperity to those he governed. Uh, John Stott observes, in reality, Felix had put down several insurrections with such barbarous brutality that he earned for himself the horror, not the thanks of the Jewish population. So in particular, he ordered a massacre of thousands of Jews in Caesarea with many more Jewish homes looted by the Roman soldiers. So I guess we could you know, classify him as certainly a uh, an unworthy, um, lusting, greedy, um, very, very crafty man, a real no-goodnik, as we would say. Um, anyway, so James Boyce observes, I suppose that even Felix was shrewd enough to have listened with tongue-in-cheek. What is it that these Jewish leaders are after that they should come all the way from Caesarea and flatter me in this fashion, he must have wondered. So anyway, moving on from there... Um, 
uh, starting at verse 4. Nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us. For we have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, and we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. So the charges against Paul were essentially that he was politically dangerous, a plague, a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, and that he had profaned the temple. Ancient Judea was filled with would-be messiahs and revolutionaries against Rome. Tertullus wanted to put Paul in the same group with these kinds of terrorists. So he wanted a kind of guilt by association. Oh, he's one of those, one of those crazy people. Um, a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. So the reference to Paul being a Nazarene was intended to connect him to a generally despised and lowly place. It was a term of slight scorn used for the followers of Jesus. Nazareth had a poor reputation as a city. Having come from the city of Detroit, I know something about this when I tell people I'm from Detroit. Very often, I get a, a raised eyebrow and sometimes a, uh, you know, a, uh, a kind of a cutting remark. I, I do get that. But Nazareth had that kind of a reputation. And Tertullus is using the negative um, reputation of Nazareth as a way to slam Paul by guilt of association. Among all Jews throughout the world, here Tertullus gave an unattended compliment as he described the extent of Paul's work in the Roman Emperor. Because he says right here, he says right here that uh, we found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world. So, um, so Tertullus basically says this and he gives an unintended compliment as he described the extent of Paul's work. So he's saying he's really, really successful. He even tried to profane the temple. This was the only really specific charge against Paul, but Tertullus gave no evidence for this charge because there was no evidence. This was a fabricated charge based on rumor only. Paul had nothing to fear from the truth, but he knew that the truth does not always win out in a court of law. Significantly, the same man who found it so easy to flatter also found it easy to accuse with no evidence. The two almost always go together. The person who flatters today will likely tomorrow accuse without evidence. So we're going to stop right there. Uh, So we're seeing right now Paul is before Felix. He's being accused by Tertullus. And we're going to pick this up next time. So thanks so much for joining us with Bible Wire. We will see you next time as we continue the exciting story and this narrative about Paul. Let's see what happens next. We have reached the end of today's Bible Wire podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, or if you'd like more resources related to this podcast, you can find us online at www.zionfellowship.net. We're also available on social media. Look for Zion Fellowship. Thank you for joining us today on Bible Wire.